and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dystrom. You can please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. That will really help and leave a review. Plus, if you have any comments or concerns, you can always let us know through the PR360 website. But anyways, let's get on with our new guest for this week. And it's Ginger Birkenbuehl. Yes, he did. She is a great host to have. She actually has her own podcast as well. So she is a veteran of podcasting, but she's also had 20 years experience in enterprise brand strategy, creative development organization, and established visual identity systems and research. She is business savvy. She's helped with Google, with Google's digital coaches program and its training initiatives. And she's the CEO of Burke Creative, but welcome to the show, Ginger. Thank you so much, Brett. Glad to be here. Yes, yes, we're glad for you to be here as well. So give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are. I gave you a little bit, but you are the best person to say who you are. Well, I, I love that. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Yes, my uh, company, Burke Creative, is a brand strategy and multi-channel agency. And we do everything from visual identity all the way to launches of initiatives, products, services, and companies. We help brands grow scale and definitely keep up with the pace of change. So one of the crowning achievements of my company is I really do help individuals, entrepreneurs, startups, and large large brands, global brands, understand how to leverage all the tools, the full ecosystem of technology to get their message out there, but also to drive conversations and to bring people to their brands. In addition, yes, I have a podcast, the Honest Build Guy podcast. And like yourself, I try to find really smart, amazing, interesting, and effective people to talk about how they are running their businesses and how they've been able to tap into their cultural experiences to be really successful at their businesses. I also have a band called Utah Carol. It's a country band that my husband and I launched back in the day. Thank, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you to Amazon. Because Amazon is the only reason that we could get our records out there. We broke through the traditional distribution process to get our records globally. And then I also have a new platform I launched, my pandemic project called Journey of Gratitude. And that can be found at journeyofgratitude.org. And that platform highlights women-owned businesses that are in creative spaces that have creative products that they're selling online. And they've demonstrated to me primarily on Instagram, that they know how to manage their own visual brand expression. And so I brought them into a platform that I launched and I helped them understand the power of art direction, photography using iPhone, which is the only requirement that they had was they couldn't use like traditional SLRs. And then also helped them understand how to create a visual language through a book. And so I published three books on this platform. I'm actually looking for few more creative women that are demonstrating on Instagram their success. So I'm very excited about all that. And then last but not least, as you mentioned, I was fortunate enough to work with Google back in 2014 for a few years to help them. I was one of the collaborating architects on what's now called the Google Digital Coaches Program. Back in the early days, it was called Accelerate with Google. And so the whole purpose was to help small business owners understand how to tap into all the free tools that Google offers to help them run and launch their businesses. And I can say right now that the businesses that said yes to us when we launched in 2017, when they said, yes, we want to learn, we want to understand how to use Google tools, they 
were perfectly positioned when the pandemic hit to go to next level. And all those businesses that came in in 2017 that actually did the work over the last two years from 2017 to 2019, I'm going to tell you right now, Brett, when the pandemic hit, they just kept going and they kept growing and they kept, and they kept expanding. And it's really because they put all of their operations online and they started understanding from their, from their mindset how important it is to leverage all the tools, not just Google, but social media, a couple of them to launch podcasts, right? A few of them have come up with additional products that they can sell online and make money while they sleep. So I love what I do and I'm so glad to talk to you more about this. Mm-hmm. But we have to get our first really important question that I ask all my guests. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? You know, I'm so glad you asked me that because I'm having a cup of tea right now. I am a tea drinker. I love tea. I love tea. I drink black tea every morning. I have at least two cups, sometimes three. And I'm very particular. I, I take tea with me when I travel and I only use raw sugar. And I drink tea the English way. I'm like a Bridgerton. I drink it the English way <laughs> with a little bit of cream and a little bit of sugar. And sometimes I'll have a crumpet as well. Crumpets and tea. Mm. I'm usually hardcore. I usually try to drink either coffee or tea without anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. I have to splash the cream. And if I'm if I'm lucky, I'll steam the cream so that it doesn't actually shock the heat of my tea. I know. It sounds like a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for coffee, it's all about the roast and getting really good roasts and doing a pour over can actually help mm-hmm. bring out the flavor notes within the coffee. Cause just like wine, coffee is the same thing. There's flavor profiles. Right. Yes. Well, you didn't ask me if I drink wine. You asked me if I drink tea. So wine is a whole other conversation, but it's true. Yes. I agree with you. I don't do coffee anymore. I used to, when I was in college, you know, I drank so much coffee that I think when I got to be an adult, like a real adult, I couldn't do it anymore. Well, yeah, I didn't start until my, about my mid twenties. So we reversed it. <laughs> no time like the present. That's perfect. Yep. Never too late. But speaking about the present and businesses and branding and all that other fun stuff, what challenges did businesses face in 2020 and what challenges do they face with branding in this current year, even though it feels like it's 2020 again? Yeah, it feels like we're still in 2020 a little bit. You know, I feel like the biggest challenges were that brands, businesses, entrepreneurs, and even some influencers, frankly, were not running enough of their operations online. And I say that because when the pandemic hit, there was a window where nobody knew what they were doing. And it was like, oh my God, what's happening? Some businesses, of course, and some brands were already fully online and they were able to capitalize on that presence and the the audience that they had already built and go to a whole nother level. But many businesses, it really isn't about like how much technology they had or what platforms they had set up and in place. It really was the mindset of the business, right? If they came into 2020 not fully believing and adopting online strategies, then they really had to quickly pivot. And the problem is, is that some of the people that had to pivot still didn't understand it or they hadn't paid attention to it in previous years. So they didn't know enough. And so I think that that, that made it very difficult for a brand to get attention. And now we're in a place where the mega brands who have always really been online, maybe not as much as they are now, they were able to actually say, you know what? We have a lot of like cash and equity. We've got liquidity. 
so we can take all this money and we can spread it out faster, farther and harder. And so they took their money and, and they went on blast. And so now in this current environment, 2021, when you think about individuals and entrepreneurs and influencers going online, they really have to work a lot harder now, even if they previously were in the space a little bit, because now they're up against Target. Because Target, for example, and I just use them as an example, there's no public document out there saying this is what we're doing. But the reality is that these really large companies now, they have enough money to get your attention. All they have to do is pay for it. And so that's really the challenge that we're in right now. And if you haven't gotten online now, it's much more expensive. The road is, is longer for you to get online now than it ever used to be. And it really is because getting someone's attention takes so much more. And now there's so many platforms as well that you have to consider. There's all these new platforms that are coming on. You got to decide. First of all, you have to secure your IP on all the platforms. You want to make sure you do that right away, even if you're not going to use the platform. But once you decide to use the platform, you really have to decide and understand, is this the place for my audience? And then when you're on there, you got to look around and figure out, wow, well, Target was already here like a month ago. Or General Motors, whatever, Honda. So the little gal is very challenged in this environment. And it's not going to stop. It's not going to subside. It's not going to get better. Because then we also are dealing with a consumer mindset that's in crisis mode, right? Because we're in a pandemic. So we're not dealing with a consumer that can easily be out there and, and have a joyful experience and a joyful time and, and not have a care in the world. We don't have a not in the care in the world environment anymore. So there's just a lot going on. Um, if there was ever a time to hire a professional, <laughs> you know, to help you think about these things, this is a good time. Yeah, I mean, I understand the whole like trying to find a website or even a website platform, because even for podcasting, finding the right website platform or even the host is a lot of work. Yep. People don't even know like how many hosts there are out there either for at least podcasting. But I mean, for website, you said website development, there's WordPress, which is the one of the older ones, Squarespace, Weebly, Wix. I mean, mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out which one's the right one for you unless you actually go in and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But do we think we're in more of an exclusively digital world now since 2020 kind of made us go into an almost exclusively digital world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are right now exclusively in a digital world, but there's opportunity in that world. I think when I think back to 2019 and 2020, I was traveling a lot. I mean, my last trip, 2019, I went to British Columbia to interview an author of a book called The Company of One, Paul Jarvis. And it was a beautiful experience to be in person, having a conversation with my podcast. Wonderful. And it was a great road trip. Right after that, I think I hit Austin and I was, I was a keynote speaker at a conference for, for Michelle Loretta B-Stage, uh, B-Stage uh, Wedding Pros. And there were limits to that, right? There were limits to how many people I could reach and how many ears would hear the message that I was really sharing even then, which was get your business online, like hurry up, get online, get a YouTube channel. So now the opportunity is you have a global audience now. So there is no reason you should not do everything in your power to reach as many people as possible. I mean, there's people like I would not even have this interview with you right now were it not for the global digital environment that I'm in and that you're in right now. I mean, we probably wouldn't have met each other possibly. So I think that you have to look at the opportunity that now I'm not limited by my zip code. I'm not limited by my countrywide location. I'm not limited to the United States. 
I can go anywhere. I can hire anyone from anywhere in the world now. And people's mindset around where they want to work has changed. I talked to a young woman yesterday. She got a job offer. It's a remote job offer, and it's a really good job for a really amazing technology company. She can be vacationing in Jamaica and work from Jamaica if she wanted to with this job. So, yeah, we are in a digital world, and I welcome it. I mean, there are downsides to it, but if I think about it from a business perspective versus a consumer perspective, I just think that the opportunity for revenue generation, revenue wealth development, growth, scale are almost limitless as long as you have the intent to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, speaking of being in a digital world and visual identity, I mean, talked about a little bit with Instagrammers and stuff. How important is it for brands to actually do this? I remember being a PR person for like a company and I kind of came up with an idea of like content guidelines specifically on how people in the company should at least for the company account, create mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. I guess, the pictures or the visuals. It has to be a certain way of doing it. Is that what we should be doing moving forward with a lot of these companies trying to figure out how to basically differentiate themselves from everybody else? Mm-hmm. Well, I love that you asked that because visual identity is, is critical. I mean, visual identity is a little different than brand identity and brand strategy. But with visual identity, listen, hire a professional visual identity agency like mine. I mean, just, and I'm not saying this to keep my own horn or to try to, to, to say, you know, hire me and I'll take your money. It's really about developing a relationship with a professionally trained agency or professionally trained individual that can really understand how to interpret it from your mind's eye, how you think of yourself and what you want to present, but also how others might think of you or how others might perceive your visual identity. How do you bring the, the strategy along with creating the right visual? I mean, maybe you'll decide. Decided I really just want, assuming you had your name and everything set up, right? Um, maybe I just want to have my name created typographically. Or maybe I don't want a typographic name if your name is, like if you look at Sally Hansen, for example, that's a, their logo is the cursive of the name Sally Hansen. Some people might decide I want to, I want to actually a graphic. And then having a professional designer can help you decide and understand the consequences of your decision. And that's why hiring a professional is important. But before you even do that, before you even jump into hiring a professional, and it does take time to find the right professional that you get along with, right? That you can talk to and trust and they trust you and it becomes collaboration. Before you even do that, you really need to just go on Google and do an image search, look for established brands. You know, look for their brand guidelines. You mentioned earlier companies that have brand guidelines, which are books that line up how the logo looks, how it should appear, what the size should be, what the accompanying fonts are, what are the associated colors, what is the typography that goes with it, how does the logo look on materials, how does it look on a brochure, what does it look like on the top of a website, things like that. Like, go on Google and just search. Search brand guideline books. Also, go visit Instagram channels and see how a brand that you like communicates visually their brand on a chat on like on Instagram, right? You can look for how they write their copy. How does their mission vision, which is attached to their brand and attached to visual identity, how are they expressing it on Instagram? And then sometimes brands also have a visual identity for their sound. What is their sound like? Do they have playlists? So you have to do research first for yourself and then you can kind of get like your creative flow going. And then you can say, okay, now that I understand a little bit about 
what I'm maybe looking for or what I like, what resonates with me, when I have an idea of what this process looks like, then you'll understand that it's a process. And then you'll be more informed when it comes to the right partner to help you bring it to life, right? And so that's something that's really important to think about, especially in the digital world, because in the digital experience, unlike the old days, the old days have a logo and you slap on a brochure and then you might do a website. In the new days, you're thinking about how many iterations of this visual identity do I need to apply it to all of the different digital platforms that I talked about earlier? How will it look? How will it represent? And how will my logo stack up against McDonald's? Would McDonald's want to pick up my logo and do a co-branding opportunity? Like if you're an influencer, for example, do they want to associate my visual identity with their visual identity? So, you know, you got to think about things like that. And that's why as much as I appreciate people that decide to do their own visual identity and their own logos and more power to them if they can pull it off and it's amazing because, you know, some creatives are really amazing. I always believe in, in finding people that to work with that that's all they do all day. Like, you know, they help people bring their visual identities to life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took me a while to figure out how to do it for my own podcast for Digital Coffee. Basically, that went through like four or five different redesigns throughout the years. Yeah. A visual identity. And there's nothing wrong with a redesign, right? I had a conversation recently about this. Your logo can be living. There's nothing that says you keep the same visual identity for the next 100,000 years. I mean, unless you're a Coca-Cola where you actually have a full-on brand experience, right? Or Pepsi or just name some other like really giant brands, Nike, for example, Reebok, Jenny's like that. Metro Goldwyn, the film house. I mean, these companies are historic legacy brands that you study when you're in college. And even then, they have a singular visual identity, but then they have a living brand experience that does evolve and change over time. But the core still stays the same. All of us don't have to live by that mantra. I mean, we can have an identity and decide, you know what, in a couple of years, I think I'm going to change it. I want to try to come up with something different. And then it becomes, I mean, am I just changing the way it looks or am I changing the name? What am I doing? And there's nothing wrong with, with that kind of evolution. I think that if your company is the same and your values are the same and your products and services are the same, you can evolve into something different. I guess you start thinking about changing when you actually start changing your purpose. Then you might want to think about maybe we should think about another name. Maybe we should come up with a different brand. Or maybe now we have, we've opened 10 retail storefronts across the Midwest. Wow, I think that we actually need to tighten up our visual identity because I can't even use this particular logo. I can't even get a sign made out of it because it wasn't constructed properly. I mean, there's just all kinds of considerations, right? Depending on what stage you are at your company, if you're starting up or if you're scaling or growing. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking to PR pros prior to all this happening, it was kind of like an equal thing about you should have like physical collateral, but you also should be on digital and it's not all going to go away. Has that changed? Has it now going to be more important to have everything digital and maybe have a little physical collateral or content material for the branding part about it? Cause I feel like it's now shifting and accelerating shifting to just really electronic PDFs and all that stuff and not have really much physical collateral anymore just because of, well, maybe health and safety and every, Everything that goes on along with that. It depends on the audience and who you're trying to communicate to, obviously, because 
and it depends on the, the age and generation and it depends on the, the purpose, right? So healthcare information is very different than product information. You're trying to sell a product like a French fry or a can of Coke, very different experiences. And it depends on your budget. So some smaller companies may not have the reach of the global financing and reach of a large publicly traded corporation. So it really depends on your audience. So yes, some industries, digital is, is tremendous because their audience base has all the access to all the tools to experience digital. They have computer systems, they have beautiful bandwidth, they have great bandwidth meaning broadband, right? They have broadband at wherever where they are. They have fairly high-end devices to communicate. They have all their banking online. They, they, they're banks. So how about this? They even have a bank. They, they're banks, right? Things like that. So yeah, and those experiences with those types of audiences, being online 100% works really well. But there are people that don't have that access. That doesn't mean that, that they don't have a cell phone because many people in the United States have cell phones and they do have smartphones that enable them to access different platforms. That being said, you know, depending on the audience and the age of the audience, direct mail is still supreme. Especially now in the pandemic, many people in the United States are not leaving their homes. And if they are leaving their homes, they're leaving them in limited ways. And they're spending a lot of time at home. And so having mail come to the mailbox, people are actually running out their mailboxes now so excited to get packages in mail. So I, I do think that it's right now, if we were not in a pandemic, I would say, you know, yeah, print, it still should be there, but it's relatively dead. Now I would say because we're in a pandemic and I don't know how much longer we're going to be in this situation in the United States, but we go on like this for another year or so, you definitely need to be upping your direct mail game. The challenge is that, of course, large brands, they've already had traditional ways to reach customers and they've already spent money on their mailing list. Smaller companies and smaller influencers, the only resource they have is online communication. So you need to really think about how you're making your money and who your audience is before you can sort of decide whether or not you should be investing in traditional print materials or not. If you're like a super wealthy person that's a lot older, they're not going to want to be communicating online. They're going to be wanting to look at paper. They're going to want brochures. They're going to want personalized relationships. So it, it, it's not, there's not a black and white answer. And it, it's really not black and white, honestly, Brett, because we're in a pandemic. So some of the things we thought we knew are not actually working right now. And some of the things that used to work are working better. So right at this particular moment, um, and I just advised someone of this yesterday, think about your direct mail campaign, not necessarily a big giant piece of collateral. Like you're, you're talking about a giant brochure with 12 to 16 to 24 pages. We don't necessarily need things like this. PDFs are great, but yeah, read someone with a little door hanger, a piece of mail, an envelope with a stamp on it. That's, that's pretty lovely right now. I don't know what happened over the holidays. I don't know that people are sending out Christmas cards when it comes to business marketing. I was really looking forward to getting that Target insert. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. I was like, I went to the mailbox. And I was like, where is, where is the Target catalog and where is the insert <laughs> for the coupon that I'm going to use when I make my purchase online? Mm, I think they moved it all to their actual app with the Target app or whatever. No, I got a catalog. Oh. I got a catalog. Yeah, I got a catalog with coupons in it. Yeah. Nice. But I mean, I'm the audience for that, right? I've got children. So I mean, they know that I've got kids and they sent me a, a catalog for toys. That's fair. I mean, they should know since Target probably has a lot of data on you just by you shopping 
at their store and registering. Sure do. <laughs> so when it comes to multi-channel brand strategies, from your perspective, what do brands or even PR pros miss when they're trying to do something like this? Is it just basically that they don't understand how to do it? Or is it just because little minor details they just over? So I don't actually think PR pros miss anything. And I think the operative word is pro, professional. So when you work with a professional PR person, they will listen and they will understand how to find the right platform for your brand. They will understand which people they should communicate with, they will research and understand what is this person writing about. And I'm not a PR pro. I'm not a public relations agency, although I do have public relations credentials only because I work in a multi-channel strategy approach with my clients. But when I'm looking for a a public relations professional, when I'm hiring someone, for, for example, to bring in on an agency account where I need some PR work for the client. Um, and even if I'm bringing someone in to work for me, I need to understand where have they had placements in the past? How are they representing themselves online? What are they looking like? And so, but I also hire professionals, right? I don't look for people that say they're PR and they don't have PR credentials. It just doesn't make any sense. So I don't think they miss anything at all. There are some PR people that are much more experienced they're veteran public relations people, and they have the opportunity and relationships built for the last 20 or 30 years into the legacy sort of communication platform, like New York Times or something, right? So you really need to understand what your goals are, and you need to make sure that you're hiring the right professional for the right type of outcome you're looking for. So you really do have to know thyself before hiring a professional. Gotcha. And so what do you look for when you're hiring a PR person or a pro, what types of things do you go, no, this is the person I need to work with? Well, yeah, first of all, I look for experience. I look for track record. I need social proof and proof that they've actually made placements. And I have a conversation. I try to look for clues. Are they listening to me? Do they understand my industry? And if they don't understand my industry, can they figure it out? Are they going to be coachable so they can understand where I'm coming from? And will they spend the time to get to know me on a phone call? Are they following other clients' channels? Are they looking and resharing their, their clients' posts? I mean, how much integrity and professionalism are they exhibiting when they're showing themselves online? I mean, I look for a lot of clues online before I decide to say yes to a relationship like that. And frankly, for any relationship that I'm contracting, whether it's for myself or for a client. And now it's a little different. And, you know, before the pandemic, it could you know, watch people and how they behave in person. And now you really have to rely on how they're behaving online. Gotcha. And I mean, speaking of content specifically, will we see more of a shift in focus for brands to either start their own podcast or be guests on podcasts to get their word out? Yeah. I mean, you would know this, Brett. I think podcasts are, they look really nice and shiny and they seem exciting and fun. They seem like they'd be a great thing, but you and I were just, were just talking about all the things that go into creating a podcast, aside from having an editorial and content strategy and getting the right guests on your show and, and locating them and, and coordinating and, and making sure that people show up on time and having the, having the right equipment. There's a lot to do. <laughs> There's a lot to do. It is more than an ocean. 
And would I like to see all PR people having a podcast? Sure, if they have the gift of gab and if they understand how to research their guests and ask the right questions and understand even what their goals are in terms of what they're trying to get out of their own experience having their own podcast. So I think there's a lot of other opportunities for public relations professionals to get to get their message out to, to have better client development. I don't know that podcast is the only way. I do think that PR people need to be left on social and writing more articles. Mm. I think that blogging is important because it really shows your expertise and your writing style. It's one thing to get a client placed in a publication where you wrote the article. That's not the same thing as you writing an article about how some strategies that you could be using to find the right PR professional, something like that. So I do think that writing is something that would be critical to me for, a, for what a public relations person should be doing. And plus, I need to see the writing, too, before I even hire a PR person, whether it's for myself or for an agency client. True. I mean, if they want to do a podcast, just hire the person that's done podcasts for quite a while. That's a great idea. I mean, and I think that there are people out there that are podcast producers and they create podcast platforms for companies and, and for brands and for people. They can actually run the whole thing for you. You just basically show up and ask questions. It's not dissimilar from having a ghostwriter. It's true. Mm -hmm. I can basically do all of it too. It's a lot of work and people don't understand how much work it is going into it. But yeah. if you understand it, you can basically set it up for them. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's kind of what I'm saying when, when you were asking earlier about visual identity. People that, if a PR person wants to launch a podcast, all they need to do is number one, go listen to a gazillion podcast first. Number two, type in how to start a podcast on Google. And you'll find all kinds of resources to help you do it. And you'll also see the amount of work that goes into it. And once you understand the conditions, you'll then not question someone like you, Brett, when you come back and say it's going to cost you $15,000 to $20,000 for me to set up your podcast. And then I'm going to charge you $5,000 per podcast to run it for you for the next 12 months. They'll understand that when they do the research first. Yeah, from what I know and from people that have reached out to me, most people still don't understand quite yet how to do a podcast. They think it's actually really cheap, which in some ways it is for the equipment. If you wanted to get okay equipment, you can do it for relatively cheap. I've done it on the cheap prior to all this, but for the most part, yeah, it's going to take quite a bit of money and time. Actually, the time thing is what people don't understand. It's a lot of time. Right. Well, that's where the money comes in. I mean, you have to get the money to come up, with, you know, to be commensurate with your time. And that's why you know, these things cost what they do. And I think that when someone comes and asks you for help, they have not, they've probably not done enough of their own diligence to understand how to do it. Because if they understood it, they wouldn't be surprised by your, you know, your education around this is what needs to happen to bring the podcast to life. And I had a conversation with someone recently and it was related to the Gimlet podcast. And if you knew how many people were running Gimlet, I mean, there's, there's so many people on the back end that you can't see that are making that, that platform amazing. I mean, there's a lot of storytelling, right? I mean, it's, it's storytelling content. It's not like this um, where we're, you know, researching people, industry experts for insight. But still, it's a real thing. So I think that, you know, PR people, I know a public relations professional that just recently was, was thinking about launching a podcast and, you know, they've got the information, but the question is, do they have the time? Like you said, do they have the time? And that time 
translates into time not spent on client development and revenue generation, Mm -hmm. at least not in the short term. And so should they PR pros become actual producers of video and audio content, or should they still, as you said, focus on the writing, maybe dabble a little bit so they understand it and then pass it off to maybe another freelancer to help them out in that way. My opinion is it gets back to what is the goal of the person that wants to put a podcast together? I mean, is that like, how does that podcast line up? What is the outcome? Focus on the outcome and then back the path to that, to the podcast. What do you want? What is the result you're looking for? And then what is the path to get that result? And your path is like what you're doing where you're elevating thought leadership ideas around topics. And that's all you're looking for is to be, be the educator. That's fine too. Then you still have to ask yourself, if you want to be the educator, you still have to ask yourself, how many people are you trying to educate? And if you know how many people you're trying to educate, how will you get to those people? How much is it going to cost you to get to those people? So you, you really need to dig deep and, and understand why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's okay if it's a vanity metric. If it's a vanity metric, then you're just doing it because it makes you feel good and you need this to feel good. And that's fine too. Just realize that if there's something else you need to be doing to make a living, you may not be able to do as much to make that living. If you want to have a podcast that has any success, because you know, I don't know how many podcasts do you run? And I forgive me for not researching deeply to understand how often you're running your podcast, but to get it, to bring it to life, you need to be doing a lot of podcasting. I do. For people to care and to pay attention, right? Yeah, I do about two a week. I may have a couple of vacations of not doing one week for my own podcast, but it's mostly two, one for here and then one for my other one a week. Wow. That's congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of time, but luckily knowing PC gaming really, really well helps with that too. Plus you love the topic. Yes. That's also true. I do actually love the topic. You gotta love it. And you're, you're not, it's never, it never gets old for you. You're never bored. Right. For the most part, yeah. I mean, some things in gaming are kind of like, yeah, I've seen that before. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, it always keeps me on my toes on like what developers are doing and how much they're, are they messing up this year. Mm-hmm. Right. But for, we've talked about digital for quite a while, but how important is it now for digital transformation in 2021? I think 2022 is better to look at. I'm not being a pessimist. I don't think a realist. 2021. This is, I believe, my personal opinion is that this is still kind of a throwaway year. And I'm not saying throwaway like it was. I mean, 2020 wasn't like everybody used that phrase. I'm sure fire is almost a cliche. It's going to be a year of healing and calm and like taking a deep breath and just slowing down a little bit. Not saying slow down, meaning we can't keep making money and keep doing business, but it's just not going to be, it's not the year of rebirth. It, It can't be because in the United States, we don't have people vaccinated yet. People are not, the schools are still not open at scale. Businesses are not back open. People are not going into the office. People are still not taking trains. So 2021 is, is still going to be a year that you have an opportunity to keep learning, keep listening, and definitely investing in your business if you're a business person, investing in the technology to get your business online. Get all the free classes you can. Nothing, you shouldn't be even out there spending money on classes because Apple, Google, Facebook, McDonald's even, all these large brands, they're trying to get you to their brand, number one. But number two, they have so much institutional knowledge on their platforms. They want you to learn these platforms. I mean, they're 
Google, for example, they're, they're going to be hiring 10,000 people by 2025. And so they're trying to get people trained so that these people can be ready to work at the company. So this is a, this is a great year of learning. 2022, I think, is better to look at in the future, right? I mean, 2021, we're deprogramming. So we're trying to reinvent ourselves in the last four years, right? I think 2022 is like the year to live freely again, right? Assuming like we've got the vaccine set up in the United States. I think that I've got colleagues, entrepreneurs, people in my network that are, they're planning their, their workshops again to go to Italy in the summer of 2022. They're restarting all the things that got canceled in 2020 and 2021. So I kind of feel like, yes, digital transformation, this is a great year to keep doing it and to continue to not be afraid and to realize that we've got to get ourselves online more and more and more and more. And then 2022, when people start to wake up, just hope that your physician can take advantage of that, that abundance. I think that will be here in 2022. Mm -hmm. So basically what you're saying is 2021 is basically the sequel of 2020. Yeah, it's a sequel, but it's not a bad sequel. I mean, I think it's a, to me, 2021 is a is a time of um, deprogramming and learning. And it is a, a time of, of healing, of, of saying, you know what, now I know what not to do based on what I learned in, 20, in 2020, right? I mean, for even for me, I had a conversation with one of my employees on Instagram. The topic was the power of no. And I realized from all the things that were happening in, in 2020, that I couldn't say yes to everything anymore. And I decided this is the year that I'm going to really look at all the asks that come into my agency at Birth Creative, right? And really make a decision on whether or not this brings me joy. I know I can pull it off at a certain amount of time. I know that there's adequate and not only adequate, but over adequate budget so that I actually do make a profit. The relationships are collaborative and they're trusted and they're respectful. And there's also recognition to our earlier conversation that the time that I spend to create with my agency for you is valuable time and it should be compensated fairly, properly, maybe even more than that, right? And so the decisions that I'm making now are really based on some of the things that were going on in 2020 that weren't, that weren't the best. And that nobody was having the best in 2020. <laughs> Not very many people. I mean, even people that were making a ton of money were still dealing with, you know, the crisis of the, the pandemic. So, yeah, I think that this is still a slightly changing year, but it's, I don't believe it's a negative year. I think this is going to be a positive year. But 2022, assuming we get through this and we end up with vaccines that are still going to work against even any variant viruses. I think 2022 is going to be great. I mean, we're still going to have a great year, but I think 2022 is the, is the year to plan. So, you know, book your trip. I think the airplanes are going to be booked up for next year. I really do. We're going to have trouble getting flights. People are going to be out of here. <laughs> Vacation all the time. Yes, exactly. I mean, listen, we're remote work now. You don't have to live where you're living to work anymore for any company. I mean, that means that it's competitive too. It also means that you're up against a lot of other people now that you were never up against before. So you better get your skills up. And fun question for you. What is one person you would really like to interview on your podcast? Oh my gosh. I would love to interview Paul Hawken. He wrote a book called The Ecology of Commerce. He wrote it years ago and he predicted what happened to us in 2020 
he just didn't predict it was based on a pandemic. He said, when I saw him speak in New York at at an AIGA conference, he said that there's going to come a time when there will be no need to go into a large skyscraper to work. There will be no need. And people will be talking to each other from televisions and phones. And we won't need to get on an airplane, go travel to do business. And he talked about a lot of other things, but he was so, at the, I remember at the time being at this conference and people were scared to death at what he was saying. Cause he was like, the real estate market's going to collapse. <laughs> like, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm like a futurist technologist. I love, I love the unknown. I, I, I thrive in chaos. I'm okay with it. When he said that, I was like, oh my God, I want, I want to be in that world. Of course, it wasn't a pandemic based world, but I would love to get him on. I would love, love, love to get him on. And I also was thinking to myself, I also, but I did have one other person. I want Tom Friedman. Thanks for being late. He wrote a book about the acceleration of technology and how it's completely unraveling and transforming life on earth. And then finally, I do want to, I would love to get Issa Rae on my show. She's an actor and she launched a show on YouTube and then she got famous on YouTube. Like, I know you asked for one person, but these are my three. It's all right. It's a fun question. So you can <laughs> change it up whatever you want to. <laughs> Anyways, any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, no. I mean, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brett, for um, having it. I, I enjoyed talking to you. I think that this is a great time to recalibrate, reset, and deprogram for 2021. So I think everybody should take advantage of just trying to sit back and look around and, and look out and look up and, and, and figure out how to make some very deep, intentional, authentic changes so that 2022 is is a year of incredible abundance all right and thank you for listening to pr360 as always please subscribe to pr360 on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and amazon music the review it really does help us and join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the pr industry all right guys stay safe go create something say no to things you don't need to do and see you next week later